Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back with you guys for another episode of our Press Box series. I'm very happy to be joined, first of all, by Chris Wheatley. How are you doing, mate? You well? Good, Tom. Hope you're well too. And very- Kaya. Yeah. <laughs> Which Kaya? How are you doing? You good? I'm good. After that warm welcome from Chris, I'm feeling great. Thank you. And a happy new year um, to everyone. Yes, of course. Ending the year. Chris, very just to put both of you on the spot, what has been your highlight of Arsenal in 2021? Kaya? <laughs> I'm trying to think myself now what it would be, what my highlight. I mean, the six mid- signings we made in the summer were pretty big. Yeah. That highlight. yeah. The biggest yeah. spending of a transfer window in Arsenal's history is probably a bit of a highlight. The wins over Spurs were probably, probably up there as well. Mm, yeah, definitely, definitely. Me, Chris, uh, thinking time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For me, uh, Project Restart, the fact that football actually started uh, mm. again and fans coming back into the stadiums, um, I think that was probably the biggest thing, especially covering the games without fans, which was yeah. not great, to be mm. honest. Um, I think that was the, the best moment of, of the year for me. We f- we quickly forget that this year also saw the rise and quick fall of the Super League as well, which was also oh, God, a big yeah. thing. Yeah, uh, it yeah, shows you how long life. 2021 has been when you start remembering things that happened at the start of the year. So, uh, yeah, very interesting stuff. And hopefully 2022 is going to be a very <laughs> successful year for Arsenal. But it is, Chris, going to start without our manager in the dugout against Manchester City. Recently speaking today, of course, in his press conference about how that community Communication might take place. Albert Stuvenberg is, is set to be in the dugout and lead things, depending on, of course, the health of, of the rest of the backroom staff. How much of an impact do you think this is going to have on tomorrow's game? I think it will have an impact. And I mean, Pep Guardiola has been speaking um, ahead of the match, apparently. I think that's actually embargoed, so we won't go into what he said too much. But um, I think it will make a, a difference um, in terms of what Arteta does on the touchline. We know he's quite a controlling manager. He's quite hands-on. Um, in fact, he's pretty much out of his seat for the majority of the games. Um, I remember last season, we could actually hear the instructions um, that he was giving to the players. And I think that's one of the things that we really will be missing tomorrow because Albert Steibenberg and Kai has written um, a couple of good pieces about him. I think he's someone who is obviously very knowledgeable. He's got a lot of experience in the game. Uh, but he doesn't come across as a kind of vocal um, coach. Uh, and that's certain, certainly not something we've seen since he's been at the club. I think the um, the vocal ones have been Carlos Cuesta and Miguel Molina, who are the assistant coaches to Mikel Arteta. And um, Kaya, again, I, I'm sure you remember some of the instructions we've heard from those guys are very, very loud, very animated. So maybe we'll be hearing um, from them uh, the weekend if they're, of course, available. For the yeah, the big question around who is who's going to be there and who isn't. Uh, Kaya, it was interesting hearing Arteta talk about kind of how much leash in, in a way that he was going to be giving to the the assistants and how there was a little bit of a standoffish approach actually from what he was saying about how he kind of wanted to give the earnest to, to those around him and those that he trusts. And there's a reason why he selected them to be on his coaching staff. And he kind of, if he hadn't have done, why would they be there if he wasn't going to give them, you know, the reins in these kind of scenarios? Do you think that you know, the, the amount of time these people have spent with the Arsenal players that really we shouldn't expect necessarily too much change from what we've come to expect from Arsenal's performances. Um, yeah, I think just if you think about the practicalities of how Arteta would be able to communicate with the mm. players, uh, he'd have to sort of either have like a, 
a phone call. I suppose Stoltenberg does wear the AirPods, so maybe you could speak to him via that. But that would be a bit, I think, oh, the difficult. <laughs> um, like maybe you could do a halftime team talk over Zoom. He's actually sort of asked about that and laughed it off. He thought it was a, a bit of a strange suggestion, which I think I, I agree with. It's sort of it'd be a, it'd be a bit weird just when you're used to sort of having it in person to then go and go over Zoom. So practically, I think it doesn't make too much sense for Arteta to have that much influence. I'm sure he would have brief the coaches to with an inch of their lives about what he wants from them and what he wants from the team on the day because he's a very detailed orientated manager and that's probably one of his strengths as a manager but it'd be interesting to see how the others um cope I, like Chris was saying Stoltenberg isn't necessarily the most animated on the touchline but he can be passionate I mean I remember when um Jacker made that error leading to the goal at Burnley last season there was footage of Stoltenberg punching the seat next to him which I think Arteta was supposed to be in which stood up so he sometimes, you know, goodness. He, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's, he's been known to show a bit of passion. So I think it'll be interesting. It'll be a different approach. It'll be a bit of a throwback because obviously in Unai Emery and Mikel Arteta, we've had very uh, hands-on managers, whereas Arsene Wenger was a lot more relaxed in his approach. So I think it'll be a bit of a throwback to a little sort of how things used to be. But we'll see. I mean, Stoltenberg has been a manager himself at Genk. So um, he's got experience of being on the touchline. He knows what it's all about. Mm. So in terms of the impact it will have on the team performance, I think, Potentially some, but the amount coaches are actually able to help their teams on the touchline, I don't know. I mean, there's no way of ever actually uh, measuring it, but I'm, especially with fans inside the stadium, I'm sort of sceptical about how much of an impact it really has other than sort of motivation or anything like that. Sure thing. I mean, obviously, this game's being billed, Chris, is very much kind of the big test for Arsenal, seeing how far they've come since not only their last defeat against Everton, but since that 5-0 loss at the Etihad all those months ago, where it was a very different team. Do you think that anything other than, I mean, I'm trying to word the question in the right kind of way. If we were to say, worst case scenario, lose this match, how much of a dent do you feel that puts, considering who the opposition are and kind of the momentum that's been built up in these last few weeks? Oh, I mean, City are probably the best team in the world at the moment, aren't they? Mm. I think um, a lot of people are expecting Arsenal to lose the game. Um, I mean, I haven't seen many positive uh, comments about the match on, on social media from an Arsenal perspective anyway. Um, I think the fact that COVID has kind of ravaged through the backroom staff, that Mikel Arteta is not going to be there. I don't think anyone is really expecting Arsenal to win. Um, which perhaps might play to Arsenal's advantage. I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a, a really tough game. And you've got to remember Arsenal, I think they won four games in a row now. Um, so it's pretty impressive. I'd expect Arsenal to to give City a game. Uh, I don't want to be talking in cliches again, but no, I, I'm feeling not confident, but I'm feeling positive going into the match because I think Arsenal are starting to show um, what kind of gears they can get into um, under Arteta. Yeah, and I mean, Kaya, City have, have looked themselves. There's been some issues with, with them. Obviously, the recent awful news about João Cancelo has come out and we're not sure kind of the situation with him from that perspective. But also, Rodri's fitness is in question and without him, I mean, we did our Behind Enemy Lines show with Dominic Farrell, who's our uh, editor, fan brand's editor for Manchester uh, City. And he talked about how in the big games, Rodri is probably the worst player that they could lose. Um, so if he is out, it does kind of open up that opportunity for Arsenal maybe to take advantage and exploit some of the weaknesses, I will say some, the very few weaknesses in that Man City team. That's the thing. You sort of said it yourself there. The very few weaknesses I think mm. if Manchester City lose Rodri, they have Fernandinho to come in in place of him, and that's not a bad replacement, is it? I mean, he's 
even at his age, one of the best midfielders still in the Premier League, in my opinion, and capable of dominating any team in the Premier League. So it's going to be tricky. And I think Arsenal, despite whatever absentees City may have, will probably not see much of the ball. So it's going to be a good test of the defence. It's going to be a good test of the communication. And it's going to be a good test when they do see the ball of how well they use it. I think what we saw against Liverpool was Arsenal got the ball so rarely they weren't able to use it that well in possession. And the Liverpool press obviously caused Arsenal a lot of problems. City also pressed quite high and tried to win the ball high up the pitch. So it'll be interesting to see how um, Arsenal cope with that. I think they've been playing a lot better with the ball recently. So mm-hmm. if they're able to sort of use what they've shown over previous weeks to sort of to their advantage, then maybe they'll be able to exploit those Manchester City weaknesses. But having said that, the City strength and depth is just so strong that, I mean, we don't even remember that Kevin De Bruyne has been out for a lot of this season and they are still, I think, eight points clear at the top of the Premier League. So they're a very good team and it's going to be very difficult for Arsenal to beat them. Very difficult indeed. And and that, before we move on to the, the chaos of transfers, brings us to asking for your prediction. Uh, Chris, you said you've not seen too many positives. How positive are you going to be with your prediction? Oh, I really don't like predictions, Tom, honestly. Um, Result rather than score, lad? <laughs> um, I think it's going to be... I'm going to be positive. I'm, I think it's going to be a draw. One or... Oh, he's gone for the full score. I love it. Yeah, fair play. I think I'd snap your arm off for that if you offered me that straight out the gate. Kaya? I mean, I'd be happy to start the year with a boring nil-nil, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think... Mm. I'm going to say 2-0 to Manchester City. I don't think Arsenal will score. I'm sorry. I know that's really downbeat, but I'm just going to try and be realistic about things. Happy New Year. Yeah, bringing this back down to earth with a third guy. I I went for it. I mean, my optimist in me said two on Arsenal, which is very optimistic. And uh, the the more grounded me said it would be a score draw, uh, still with a fair amount of optimism in there. Of course, the game tomorrow does start on New Year's Day, which opens up the whole crazy world of transfers where our timelines go crazy. And uh, we'll turn Chris Wheatley's notifications on. Um, Speaking of which, (laughs) in regards to Ainsley Maitland-Niles' future, he was, uh, Mikhail Tell was asked today, and as we've come to expect, was very cagey and and coy about that specifically. The latest kind of news and the article that I've read of yours suggesting that, you know, talks between Arsenal and Roma are there and there's kind of a a hope from Roma's perspective that they can get a a loan deal for for Ainsley Maitland-Niles done. I don't really want to ask specifically on the details of the deal, but what I do want to ask is... If Arsenal allow Ainsley Maitland-Niles to leave and then seeing Thomas Partey and Mohamed Elneny both leave for the African Cup of Nations, it would leave only from you know the perspective of, of a fan looking through the roster, Granit Xhaka and Sambi Lekonga as the only senior orthodox central midfield options. Do you think that the club would be maybe a little naive to only have those two throughout such an important month that includes a game against Spurs and then, of course, a game against Burnley and the League Cup semi-final ties. Welcome back, Matteo Guendouzi. Um, I'm joking. <laughs> don't don't oh, clip that up. Do not uh, clip that. Wow. <laughs> um, no, no, but seriously, I, I think yeah, that's a good point you make and I, I, I've seen a few people mention that it doesn't really make sense as a deal. And I think Arsenal are certainly um, going to let this one play out. I don't expect it's going to be something that, that would be done on the 1st of January. Mm. Um, well, we know it probably won't be done on the 1st of January because Maitland-Niles is back in training. Wouldn't surprise me, we were just I was speaking with Kai earlier, that if he starts tomorrow, um, 
I mean, Mikel Arteta generally doesn't leave players out of the team unless it's kind of disciplinary reasons or tactical reasons. Um, but for transfers, I think he will just play the play the player unless he's really unsettled. Um, and Maitland-Niles doesn't seem like the kind of player who would uh, not be focused on the game. I know he's had his um, Instagram story posts and stuff in the past, but um, I think he's a better bet than Cedric at right back, especially mm -hmm. if Takahiro Tomiyasu isn't fit. Um, so, yeah, I would start probably Maitland-Niles at right back tomorrow. Um, but, yeah, no, I would keep him um, at the club until Arsenal sign a, a replacement, a central midfielder. Mm -hmm. I don't think Charlie Patino is ready. Um, as much as he is really talented. Um, and yeah, trying to think of the other midfielders in, in the academy, Tim Akinola, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. But quite Salah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, unlikely to see those guys kind of um, get a chance this season, I think. But yeah. Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I was looking through the players we sent out on loan and you, you know, jokingly alluded to earlier, Gendouzi, of course, Torreira, who's having a, you know, from my, my friend of mine who watches Fiorentina week in, week out, has very much enjoyed seeing Torreira this season and they're very impressed with him. So it's you look with that element of hindsight and maybe regret that we maybe spoke too soon on some of those players, but uh, I think Arsenal and under Arteta have looked to, to build a group of players that are moving in the right direction and maybe a player like Matteo Gendouzi wasn't particularly going to be part of that. Kaya same kind of region of the field in midfield is it of all of the positions on the pitch for you kind of what you predict to be the most likely for Arsenal to, to pursue a deal for a player yeah if the Maitland-Niles deal does happen then I think numbers would seem to dictate that they need to do something but at the same time Arteta did say that he doesn't think it's realistic to sort of bring players in for a really short amount of time and then sort of have to move them out of the starting lineup again so unless they had long-term plans to bring someone in in the summer in midfield and maybe they bring those forward a bit maybe that could happen but yeah of the positions it's probably the most just in terms of numbers I think maybe we'll come on to centre forward a bit later so I won't go too much into that but I think it's looking like it yeah like I echo what Chris says I don't think Patino's ready to play Premier League football or be starting really Carabao Cup games especially against a team like Liverpool in the semi-final I don't think it's sensible to have only Granit Xhaka and Samuel Lukonga, particularly, I know Lukonga's already had COVID, but given the COVID environment, you can lose players for seven to 10 days. And that is, in January with so many games, that's potentially two, three matches. So that could be a big problem. Of course, there's alternatives. You can play Ben White in midfield. Callum Chambers can play there. But I don't really think any of us want to see that if possible. So I think, yeah, if Arsenal were able to hold on to Ainsley Mitten and I think the AFCON group stages end around the 19th of January. So yeah. at the earliest, that would be when Party and um, El Nenia are returning, although they're expected to go the distance with Ghana and Egypt, who are two of the favourites for the tournament. So if Arsenal can get the deal done later in the window and allow him to move later, then no problem. But I think um, if they are forced to sort of move quickly on this one, then yeah, maybe we can start to look at potentially um, bringing in a midfielder. You mentioned the, the African Cup of Nations there. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has now left um, to join up with his national side, Chris. And before, I, I mean, speaking when oh, we did these shows a couple of months ago leading up to the window, and we didn't really kind of expect movement in, the, in that department, but that was well ahead of, of the chaos that's gone on with the, the captaincy controversy. Um, I was speaking to Hush on our morning agenda show, and he actually, and I, I asked him for his prediction of his definite out in the January window, and he predicted that it would be a Bamiang. I'm a little bit more reserved in, in kind of thinking that he might go, but you know, it could happen. And 
And that would open up the opportunity for possibly Arsenal to to look at that striker role as something to that was being targeted, what we believe to be in the summer, and bring in that plan forward. Do you think that they would react with a kind of a move for a striker, but maybe one that's more it gives them more control, like a loan option, rather than going for that marquee figure that might not be available during the winter window? Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, loans generally haven't worked out for Arsenal, or the ones that I can think of anyway in the in the mm. past transfer windows. That, that Denis Suarez one really does stick in my mind. Um, but in terms of Aubameyang, I think he's someone who the club clearly don't want anymore. Mikel Arteta doesn't want. Uh, he's got backing from the board. He's asked about him every press conference and he has the same answer. We're taking it game by game. Well, it's been three games now two three games and he's nowhere near the, the team and they've let him go to Gabon early um, obviously uh, that was requested by um, the Gabon, Gabon national team but uh, I don't think he has a future at Arsenal I think he's kind of ruined that for himself um, but we don't need to go into all the details the biggest thing is are Arsenal going to get a replacement and will they sell Aubameyang I think a loan move for Orba is probably uh, a possibility in January. Um, I think Arsenal would probably have to pay some of his salary to, to get him off the, the books. But um, in terms of replacements, I think there's a lot of top quality strikers out there at the moment. For me, I, I would go for someone in the UK. Um, I think it's a lot easier um, at the moment, especially with the, the pandemic, with um, um, with GBE, I think mm. I would go for someone like Calvert-Lewin at Everton. I think he makes um, a lot of sense, but I'm um, interested to hear your thoughts on that, guys. I mean, he's my pick as well. So Calvert-Lewin's always someone I'm writing about very favourably, looking kind of, I mean, obviously Vlaovic is another player we've been linked to, but reports suggest that his camp are not interested in that in that whatsoever. And to be honest, when you look at the, the XG statistics and comparisons between the two of them, Calvert-Lewin stacks up very well and has already transitioned to the Premier League too. So Kaya, a striker replacing Aubameyang, do you lean towards Calvert-Lewin or have you got your mind on someone else? I think... Um... I really get the argument of Calvert-Lewin in, in terms of what he offers, and I think he's pretty important in terms of providing a focal point to the build-up. But I just worry in terms of finishing off chances. I don't think he's maybe that much better than what Arsenal have right now in Lacazette. So if they're going to spend that much money, then it should be an improvement in as many departments as possible. Me, I find myself a big fan of Darwin Nunez. I think I mentioned that on this show before. Um, that's just personal thing though there's no real suggestion at the minute that there's any sort of interest from Arsenal or they share my interest um <laughs> in the in the play I just think he's really good he's quick he's young he's strong he's good in the air he's good in front of goal good on the ball but to basically I think what Arsenal are looking for is Alex Lacazette but with a much more increased goal threat so yeah. That's a very particular player to find. There's not that many of those out there. There's lots of penalty box strikers. There's lots of hold-up play strikers who don't necessarily score that many goals. So finding that sort of Goldilocks player is going to be difficult. But they've done that in the past. They wanted very specific things with a goalkeeper, with a centre-back, with a right-back, and they've got it all. So they can do it. They've shown they can do it. I think what Chris has heard and what sort of we've all heard has been that the plan was to look to that in the summer. Maybe circumstances will mean that's brought forward. Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. We will have to wait and see, indeed. Chris, uh, thank you so much, mate, for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. 
Thank you and happy new year to, to you, uh, Kaya, everyone else who is watching. Absolutely. Kaya, thank you very much as well, as always, mate. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, again, happy new year to everybody. And I hope you all had a Merry Christmas and here's to a very nice 2022. Fingers crossed Arsenal can give us a great New Year's uh, present. That would be much appreciated, even if it's in the form of a draw. I would take that right now. I think that would certainly be something we'd look at favourably. Uh, as the guys of it, I echo their, their words. They have a fantastic New Year, people. We hope you enjoy uh, what hopefully Arsenal are going to bring us. And uh, we'll see you in the New Year. Have a fantastic evening. And as always, keep following us down the Arsenal way. Oh,